Father, we do come before you this morning and thank you for this privilege to be together, to uh, praise you, to sing of you and to sing to you, to declare your tremendous uh, excellencies. And Lord, I thank you for what we will look at today, and I pray that you will enable me to share it as you intended, that we would see the glorious reality of ultimately what your son uh, did for us, how he uh, is our provision of salvation, and uh, you brought that forth mightily through him. So we thank you, and I pray that you just bless your word as we look at it today, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, we're all aware that uh, as a Christian, the Christian life is no cakewalk. We all know that uh, it doesn't take long after being blessed with a new relationship with Christ and glorying and praising him for the forgiveness of sins we have and, and the, the, the joy and the, and the promise of future glory with him that uh, we are in this world still that has sin and death and wickedness. And it's sure that our, within that, that there is constant temptation for us. Uh, we have our flesh, we have the world, we have the devil. And indeed, there are external things that test our faith, like people, circumstances, and situations. And there are internal weaknesses that test our faith, uh, such as our personalities, emotions, natural fears, which test the strength of our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes these tests come in very difficult manners for believers. And sometimes we have uh, an intersection of the clear commands of God and the difficulties that we might be going through, and they may not make sense. Well, what do we do when we're tested? What do we do? Well, we know the tests are coming. We know they're coming. First uh, Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing is happening to you. James chapter 1, verse 2, Consider all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials, and that word could be translated testing also, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, right? That we would be complete and lacking in nothing. So if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it is inevitable that sometime your faith is going to be tested. It's going to be tested. And with that in mind, we're going to see how we should respond when our faith is tested. Today we're going to be learning from the prime example of faith, uh, Abraham. So turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. We take a short break from our First Thessalonians series as we come to the last section in First Thessalonians where we have 22 commands that just go straight through. So I thought it'd be Good to keep our eyes focused here as we, before that, to focus them on Jesus. And so with that in mind, you might have remembered, we'll turn to Genesis 22, Genesis 22, and we're going to see the testing of Abraham. Now with that in mind, you might have remembered, if you were here a few years ago when we went through Genesis, that this book was written by Moses, inspired by the Spirit, initially for the Israelites who were ready to enter the land. And yet this book is certainly profitable for every true believer, and as is the rest of the scriptures. And here, uh, within this book, we have the giving of, a, of the history of mankind from God's perspective. His first initial creation, perfectly blessed, it's perfect creation, and then man fell into sin. And then we came to the point where God revealed his redemptive plan 
to take uh, and, and to bring that to shape, that the Lord would bring salvation blessing ultimately through the seed of Abraham, uh, and that seed of Abraham ultimately Jesus Christ. And in chapters 12 through 21, we have really the life of Abraham, a man who responded to the Lord's call, who believed and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And in those chapters, you can see his walk of faith, although not perfect, yet growing. And then you might remember, we see that Abraham, as revealed in the New Testament, he is the paradigm of faith. We see that. He is a picture of what genuine, true, biblical faith looks like. So with that in mind, how can we uh, and how should we respond to testing when it comes our way? Again, Genesis 22, and let's take a look at this. Now, as we come to this passage, we come to the pinnacle of the life of Abraham, where we see God testing him to, to bring about, to offer his only son, and we see that within that, Abraham's response. And also within our passage, remember, as we read it and look at it, we're going to see shadows and pictures of what Christ would do for us. Genesis 22, verse 1. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abram, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the one of the mountains, which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I will, and the lad will go yonder and we will worship and return to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac and he took the, his hand and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there, and he arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him, for now I know you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, 
Indeed, I will greatly bless you. I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. You shall on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now it came about after these things that it was told Abraham, that it was told Abraham, saying, Behold, Milcah has borne children to your brother Naor, Uz, his firstborn, and Buzz, his brother. Now if you're looking to name your kids, maybe not those ones, but Uz and Buzz. And uh, his brother, and Camul, the father of Aram, and Shesed, and Hazo, and Pildash, and Jidlop, and Bithiel. And Bithiel became the father of Rebekah. These eight Milcar bore to to Nahor, Abram's brother, and his concubine, and those whose name was Rumah, who bore Teba, Gaham, and Tahash, and Ma'akah. So folks, um, I think it's probably become pretty evident to you already as we read this passage that it is an incredible passage of Scripture. And uh, it is my great desire that the Lord's intent would be brought forth and that we would respond as he desires us to do so. So how are we to respond? We're to be tested. We're going to be tested as believers. We're going to be tested. How should we respond? Notice, and we need to realize that God will test our faith. He's going to test it to prove it and to bless us. For believers, he's going to test your faith to prove that it's genuine and to bless you. We need to understand that before we enter testing and when we enter testing and after we have been tested. Verse 1, Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham! And he said to him, Here I am. And he said, Take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Here the passage begins with the sentence, Now it came about after these things. Well, what were these things that he's talking about? Well, obviously he's pointing to the things that were shared back in chapter 21. And you might remember when we were in uh, Genesis that God was faithful to Abraham and that he was walking with the Lord and he experienced his faithful protection in regards to the Philistines and the provision for his well in spite of past failures. And the Lord even used a pagan Philistine king who saw that God was with Abraham in all that he did. Quite amazing. And Abraham responded and called upon the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And then Abraham, in chapter 21, verse 34, sojourned in the land of the Philistines for many days. Remember, God, although God had promised uh, him to be in the land, he was still looking for a better heavenly country, as we heard read earlier. He was a sojourner on earth, just like you and I. So then, after this interaction with Abimelech, that, that, that king, he, we come to our passage where it says that God tested Abraham. Well, what was that test? The idea of testing here, as we'll see this word, speaks of testing to prove genuine. That's the intent, to prove that something is genuine. And he said to him, Abraham, here's the test, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son whom you love... And go to the land of Moriah 
and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. That's a tremendous test. Take your only son. There's much more to it than you think, actually, because everything was tied up in Isaac and being the promise, the one who the promises would come through. So he says, test, take now your son, and notice how the Lord describes him. Your only son, whom you love. Your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Well, wait a second. I thought he had another son. Well, he did, right? He did, but in terms of uh, Agar, Abraham and Hagar, and then Ishmael, we know that uh, through Sarah was only one child, and that was... And that uh, from through Sarah was only one child in which the promise would come forth, and that would be Isaac. So in that sense, he is relating it in regards to the promise. And indeed, back in chapter 12, more than 25 years earlier, the Lord had promised Abram that he would make him a great nation, and that in his seed, Genesis 12, all the nations would be blessed. And then in Galatians 3, we see that that was referring to Christ, ultimately the seed of Abraham, who would take on human flesh and die for our sins. Then in chapter 15 of Genesis, the Lord made it clear that his heir would not be his servant, Eliezer, but one that came from his own flesh, and his descendants would be as numerous as the stars. And in chapter 17, he made it and affirmed a covenant with Abraham, And he made it clear that he would be the father of a multitude of nations. Genesis chapter 17, verse 4. And then he made it clear in chapter 17 of Genesis that he would have a son by Sarah. And his heir would not be of Ishmael, would be the son from Sarah. Genesis 17. And then in chapter 18, the Lord makes it clear to Abraham and Sarah, who was listening, the appointed time, remember she was listening? The appointed time in which he would bring forth the child through Sarah. And God did so as he promised, Genesis 21. And they named him Laughter. And you know why, if you know the back in Genesis, what happened. So then we have this incredible test. Abraham loves his child as good fathers would. Bad fathers love themselves. Good fathers love their, love their kids. They love their kids. And so then we have an incredible test At the time, God had promised Abraham through his seed that he would be a multitude of nations, and now he's asking him to do something absolutely foreign to that, to offer his own son. Physically speaking, how could this work then if my son is dead and he's the one in which the nations are to come? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't match what God is commanding him to do. And that's important because sometimes God's commands in a sense, from our limited perspective, contradict what we think should actually be happening. We need to recognize when God tests us, as we will see with Abraham, we need to obey the Lord. We need to have genuine faith that trusts the Lord, no matter what, no matter what we think, no matter what we understand, from our perspective, that trusts him and worships him in obedience. So then he says, go to the land of Moriah and sacrifice him as a burnt offering where I tell you. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. You were there earlier when it was read. Turn to Hebrews 11 and look at verse 17. It's interesting because back in Genesis, he says, your only son. He's your only son in regards to the promise, by the way. That's what he's saying. He's your only son. He's your, he's your unique son. Uh, we have uh, in Genesis, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, by faith, 
Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who he had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son, his unique son. That's what it means. A unique son for a specific purpose. He was born for a specific purpose, in a sense. The promises would come through that unique son. And again, you can see the pictures of what we have in terms of the unique son of God. Son by relationship, not by, not by, not by, uh, I don't know the word, but you know what I'm talking about, right? So we have his only begotten son, the monogenes, the unique son. And we have in verse 18 of Hebrews, it says, and he, it was in, it was he to whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants shall be called. He was the one in which the promises would come through and ultimately Christ who would save us from our sins. So then we have the statement concerning Abraham's only son and the promise through Isaac. And so God says, take your only son, your only begotten son, take him now, your son whom you love. You love him. God knows you love him. Whom you love. Can you imagine this? Abraham waits 25 years for Isaac to be born after being told, basically. Then he has a miraculous birth. He loves him dearly. The son in whom all the promises would come. And now God is asking him to do something completely contrary to probably what Abraham's thinking to sacrifice him. We think our trials are tough, don't we? We struggle with things, you know, when a boss treats us unfairly, things in the world. We struggle with a headache, a cold, a missing night's sleep, whatever it might be. And, and you know what? Those things are worthy to bring before the Lord. Yes, the Lord is gracious. He numbers the hairs on our heads and he loves us. But yet we don't recognize how deep this trusting is. And it's very deep if you think about it. This was certainly a test from test of Abraham's faith. Now, within this... Uh, what, we're, what I'm saying is if we didn't have this account here of what's going on, we would not know the magnitude of, of this testing. He says, your son in whom you love, whom you love. So then here's the test. Will he obey the Lord by faith, loving the Lord more than his son? Uh, John 14 doesn't mean you don't love your son. It just means you love the Lord more than your son, right? If you love me, you'll keep my commands. Would he love him more than his son? Matthew 10, 37, he who loves father, mother more than me or loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me, Jesus says. It's not that we don't love our children, but do we love God who created us, who saved us more than them or not? Here's the test. And this word translated test in the book of Hebrews uh, could be translated tempted in other places. But we know from James that God does not tempt us in any way. And he cannot be tempted by evil. So this is not a temptation upon Abraham. If he was tempted in any way, it didn't come from God. It was a test to prove to Abraham and us the genuineness of his faith. So then, we have the Lord, and remember this, when you go through difficulties, God is not trying to have you sin, He's, that's not his character. He doesn't tempt you, that's from our own flesh, that's from our, 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 the world, the flesh of the devil. He is testing to actually do good and to bless, as we're going to see. It is always good what God does, it is always good. 
Indeed, Scripture reveals, as I read earlier, that God tests the faith of those who are his. We saw this in James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing or proving of your faith produces something. It produces endurance, and we need that, by the way, and let endurance have its perfect result that you may be complete and lacking in nothing. James 1.12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. I read this earlier, 1 Peter 4.12, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that at the revelation of his glory you may result, rejoice in exaltation. 1 Peter 1.6, In this you greatly rejoice, speaking of salvation, even though for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, that, notice this, the proof of your faith, the testing to be proven genuine of your faith, in Jesus, by the way, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, uh, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The proving of our faith if you're a true believer, ultimately brings joy, maturity, and blessing. And if you are a believer, God is going to test your faith. And I can't tell you to the level that he will do so. But when we look in Scripture, it looks pretty serious. It looks like it brings it down to show you really where you really are. And you're either going to fail and be proven to be not who you think you are, or you're going to be proven genuine. Proven genuine. So then we have the testing of Abraham's faith. Now it came about, chapter 22, verse 1, after these things that God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, and I said, here, and he said, here I am. Abraham responds, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son. We spoke of that whom you love and go to the land of Moriah. God is saying, I know what's going on here. He's the unique son. You love him, but take him to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. Well, where's the land of Moriah? Abraham had been sojourning in Beersheba, the southern portion of the land of Canaan. And the Lord tells him to go to the land of Moriah. Well, where is that? In Second uh, Chronicles 3, verse 1, I'll share this for you. Then Solomon began to build a house for the, of the Lord on, in Jerusalem on the Mount of Moriah. Hmm, very interesting where the Lord had appeared to his father David. At that place, David had prepared on the threshing floor of the Oman of the Jebusite. We have the reality of the topography of this area that Moriah is Jerusalem, where we see it, right around there. The land of Moriah, it's right in that area. And he says, bring him to a hill, which I'm going to show you, a mount which I'm going to reveal to you. Now, if you know the topography, there's a ridge in which the temple proceeds is on. On that same hill, there was a hill, another hill called Golgotha. It looked like a skull. 
It was called the place of the skull. And that's where we get the word Calvary. It means skull. So God is telling Abraham to take his only son whom he loves, the one in whom the promise will come, from Beersheba to the land of Moriah, and there he is to offer him on that mountain, offer him on one of the mountains, which I will show you. It's very specific. And now what is it? A burnt offering. You know, so often I think we look at this from the perspective, certainly it's a picture of what Christ would do, and we look at Abraham. But can you think about this? God is prefiguring what he would do with his own son here. He is going through and watching what will happen to his own son ultimately, what he's asking of his own son. So with that in mind, he says, offer a burnt offering. Well, what's a burnt offering? Well, back in the time of Adam, we know that... uh, that uh, Abel offered up an offering, chapter 4, by faith. We see that, Genesis 4, Hebrews 11. We know in chapter 8, in verse 20 to 22 of Genesis, Noah offered every clean animal and bird as a burnt offering on the altar. Noah had a basic understanding that something clean or spotless, an animal, would need to die. He had an understanding of that. And we have the truth in seed form concerning the gospel in which Eve's seed would be temporarily, his heel would be crushed, but he would crush Satan's head. We see um, in chapter 12 that uh, Abraham built an altar when he came to Canaan when the Lord appeared to him. And then east of Bethel he built an altar and called upon the name of the Lord and he worshipped the Lord. And in the same way, the Lord revealed to Abraham through this a physical picture of true worship in seed form based on the sacrifice which would have to die to bring about the forgiveness of sins. And believe me, it is worship to uh, come and put something on the altar. It was worship. It pointed to ultimately what Christ would do for us. What Christ would do for us. And we're going to see in a moment that even uh, Abraham's son understood the burnt offering. This is before the law, by the way. He said, where's the ram? He understood. He understood what was going on. And so we have in chapter 22 a detailed picture of a burnt offering in which Abraham would be ready to sacrifice his own son. Yet we'll see that God would supply a ram instead, pointing to the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. And indeed, in Exodus chapter 10, Moses told Pharaoh that they needed to take the cattle uh, out to the wilderness to offer burnt offerings. In chapter 18, Jethro, uh, Moses' father-in-law, offered a burnt offering to God. And the Israelites did did also the same day they received in Mount Sinai the law in Exodus 20 and 24. Yet what is a burnt offering? Well, we know from the law, which would come later, that Moses would, would bring forth, inspired by the Spirit, that burnt offerings were sacrifices of specific clean animals in which the whole animal would be slain and then consumed by fire. And within Leviticus, it was used for personal atonement for sin. It was a symbol, it was a picture of what God would do. Personal atonement. And we all need to be forgiven. And so God had people, even before the law, his people offering these shadows to point to the reality of the seed that would come through Abraham, Jesus Christ. And so here we have the Lord commanding his Abraham to take his only son whom he loves and offer him as a burnt offering. I can't think of any harder test than that, to be honest with you. 
because it's a hard test in multiple ways. One, it tests your belief in the promise. The promise that you're going to be a great nation through this child and you're going to offer him. That's a big test. You've got to believe that God is God and you've got to believe that God is going to do it, right? You've got to believe that. And secondly, it's a test of your love because it's not wrong to love your children. You should love your children, but we need to love God more and obey him. But as we'll see, God always tests to bless his people. So with that in mind, he tested him to ask him to give up his greatest treasure, whom you love. And he'll say later on, you did not withhold your son, your only son. You see, if you have a right relationship with Jesus, when the Lord, through circumstance or whatever it might be, calls you to give up those things of this world, you're going to want to do it. And you're going to want to worship. I'm not talking about some bogus way of, I must give up everything to follow Jesus, you know. I'm talking about when the Lord makes it clear that these things are are need to go, whatever it might be. You're going to want to do it if you really love the Lord. It's going to, because your heart's going to be proven that you're genuine if you're a true believer. So then we have his only son, uh, the one in whom the promises was come, being offered up. And indeed, we see that, Hebrews 11:18. In him it was said, in Isaac your descendants shall be called. He, he had the promise. But why would God do such a thing? On the surface, it seems totally out of character for God, a loving God to ask Abraham to do such a thing. Certainly, God was against human sacrifice. And also at that time, it obviously appeared to contradict God's previous promises, at least from a human standpoint. This is where we have trouble. We have to lay aside our human wisdom and understanding and believe God above all else. That's where faith is truly tested. And I rarely see that, to be honest with you, in people's lives. You know, I do see it, but I rarely see it where people are truly trusting God apart from all the stuff that they are perceiving in their lives that is happening. We need to trust the Lord. We need to trust the Lord. And so we have God asking him to do this. And this is where so many of us are stuck. We try to resolve the unresolvable in our heads. We need assurance beyond what God would say. And this mindset will paralyze you. Trust the Lord. Believe his clear promises rightly applied. Rightly applied. God is proving to you where your faith is at. So then it seems contradictory. It's an extremely difficult situation. So how is it Abraham was able to obey these commands? Let's learn from his response. Verse 3, So Abraham rose early in the morning. It's very interesting. And he saddled his donkey and took two of his young men, this is verse 3, chapter 22, with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. And I and the lad will go yonder, and we will worship and return to you. This is an amazing statement. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. He took in his hand the fire and the knife. And the two of them walked on together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father, he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb. For the burnt offering, my son, his faith, by the way. Uh, so the two of them walked on together. It's faith in action. It's working faith, by the way. 
Uh, it's general. It's the type of faith that truly salvation has come from. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place which God had told them, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on top on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Did you notice Abraham's faith was manifest in obedience? He obeyed God's word. Faith is manifest in obeying God's word in spite of what you see and perceive. You want to know if you're trusting the Lord? You're obeying his word because you believe him. You believe him. And you trust in him and you love him. If you want to know if you're trusting him, you're going to be obeying the Lord. Now, it doesn't mean we don't fail. We all trip up. Abraham tripped up. No doubt about that. But here he believes. Abraham obeyed. Turn back to to Hebrews chapter 11 again. Hebrews 11, verse 17, by faith, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. By faith he did it. And he received, and he who received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. And it was he to whom it was said in Isaac, all your descendants shall be called. And he considered that God was able to raise men even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Do you notice what Abraham thought? Abraham obeyed. And we have the details of this. Let's look at the details. Let's look at the details. So he rose early in the morning back in Genesis. He saddled his donkey. He did it right away. Boom, boom, boom. He split the, got, he, he got the two young men and with him Isaac, his son, split the wood for the burnt offering and went to the place God had told him. He obeyed. He didn't sit around in poverty. What do you think about this? This is what God says, but it doesn't make sense here. I'm trying, I'm really struggling with this versus what's God saying. Ah, can you help me out here? No, he obeyed the Lord. Very little revelation and the revelation that he had was being contradicted by what God was saying. Yet he obeyed. That's what we need to do, brothers and sisters. And when we're tested, we need to obey. That's the response of faith. Quick obedience. Boom, boom, boom. Did what our Lord had him do. That's biblical faith. Abraham's faith was manifest in obedience right away. And the testing wasn't over in a minute or two. It was, notice verse 4. On the third day, three days, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. About a three days journey from Beersheba to Moriah. And again, we begin to see the parallelism and the typology in this true event concerning what God would do through his son later on. You see, for Abraham, Isaac was, as, was initially as good as dead for three days. He thought he, God had to raise him. He thought he's going to kill him. He thought he would be dead. He's as good as dead for three days. So when he received him back, he received him back as a type, almost alive from the dead in a sense, after three days. See the typology? Verse 5, And Abraham said to his young man, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder, and we will worship and return to you. That's an amazing statement. But what's the worship? The worship is the altar and the offering of his son. That's the worship. Quite amazing. And then he says, We will return. He believed, as we saw in Chapter 11 of Hebrews, that God could raise him from the dead. 
And that's quite amazing because we don't see any resurrection up to this point in the Bible. We don't see any resurrection. It's quite amazing that Abraham in and of himself said, okay, God has said this, he's saying this, the promise comes through, he's got to do, that's what he's got to do, I believe it. He believes. He believes. And so he worships. He ascribes to him worth. He worships by offering a sacrifice. This puts a monkey wrench into a lot of our modern day worship these days, which worship is merely music or whatever it might be. What worship is ascribing to the living God, the worth due his name, based on on the truth in the context of obedience. Abraham's act of obedience was worship. He offered himself up as a living sacrifice, in a sense, to do God's will, which was to have his son go to the altar. And he says, we will worship and return to you. That's faith. So we have the tremendous reality. Abraham, in spite of his feelings and understanding, he believed what God said. He believed what God said. And again, from he was he considered that God was able to raise men even from the dead, through which he received him back as a type. Just like our Savior was in the ground for three days and rose from the dead. So then notice what happens here. It says in verse 6, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on, on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked together. Here we have a foreshadowing of what Christ would do. Christ would carry his own cross. Abraham had his son carry the very wood to which he would burn upon as a sacrifice. And notice the scripture says in the end of 6, so the two of them walked on together. Foreshadowing the harmony between a father and son as we see in the picture of a harmony of Christ and the Father as his son would go to the cross to die for us. Now notice uh, Isaac is wondering something here, verse 7. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Now you may be asking, how old is Isaac at this point? In verse 5, he calls his son a lad. That would speak of a youth. Could be a boy or a teenager or a young man. So how old is Isaac at this point? Some say he's in his 30s because of the age given for Sarah in chapter 23. I don't quite agree with that because that's age given is when she dies. And in the end of 22, it talked that, it said that Abraham had sojourned in Beersheba for a while. So we know that uh, Isaac was born, and there was a little while between that that he sojourned, and Isaac was growing. We know from chapter 21 that the boy was weaned. He lived with the Philist- Abraham lived with the Philistines many days. And I lean towards him being a teenager because of the way he talks to him. My father. I-, I lean towards that. And so we look at Isaac's very logical question that gives insight into Abraham's training of his son also. Notice this. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, here I am. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? Isaac understood about burnt offerings. He understood about worship. Abraham had worshipped the Lord before with burnt offerings. We see that. And obviously he has done it with his son. He has trained his sons. We see that. Look back at Genesis chapter 18. 
We see the Lord had called him to be faithful in actually doing that, by the way. Genesis 18. Genesis 18, verse 17. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? That's talking about Sodom and all that stuff, you know. Um, Since Abraham will surely be a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him in order that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. I've chosen him, and part of that is to train his children in the Lord. And obviously Isaac was. Isaac understood about burnt offerings. Where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? So then, we come back and we have back in our passage, Abraham's answer, verse 8. And Abraham said, God, this is faith, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. God will provide. God will provide for himself. It's his offering. It sacrifices for him. It's worship. Incredible faith Abraham has. He knows what God has asked him to do, and he trusts that God will provide. God asks us to do all kinds of things in his word, and we have to trust that he will provide for us. On a small scale, this is a large scale. Now this word provide is an interesting word, ra'ah, it means to see. God will see with an eye towards providing. He's looking to provide. And notice what it says. So the two of them walked on together. We have the phrase repeated, emphasizing the unity between the Father and the Son. I believe foreshadowing the unity of the Father and the Son when Christ went to the cross. So again, they came, verse 9, then they came to the place which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood. Can you imagine the test for everyone? I can't imagine that. He's building the altar, the wood. And notice Isaac is certainly aware of what's going on at this time. He's not fighting it. Then they came to the place which God had told him, built the altar there, arranged the wood, and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. We obviously have, I believe, Isaac's willing involvement. Abraham's over 100. There's not, Isaac could take him on, okay? We obviously have his son's willing involvement in this worship. He allows himself to be bound and put on the altar. And again, foreshadowing the son who would willingly offer himself. These shadows, according to the Father's will. No one took Jesus' life. Jesus laid it down. John 10. And so what happens? Verse 10, back in 22. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Abraham was obeying all the way through. And in his mind, Isaac was going to die. That's deep trust, because he knew that he would be raised. He thought he, he, he reasoned that God could raise him from the dead, because the promises came through that. What trust? Job said, though he slay me, I will trust him. What trust? So then, what happens? Abraham believed God. He had confidence in his word, and even he was calling to slay his son. So what happens? Verse 11, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. 
For now I know that you fear God. And this is the idea of fearing the Lord. Obedience reveals a fear. You see, when you don't obey the Lord and you're, you just, you're willy-nilly with your attitudes, actions, uh, strife, uh, a- anger, whatever it might be, it's a lack of fear, by the way, for all of us when we're sinning, by the way. He says, now I know you fear God. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now, did God not know that Abraham feared him? No, he knows everything. What he's saying is now by practical experience, through your deeds, it has been manifest and made known that you fear me. Here we have Abraham truly had a relationship with the living God. He feared him. He reverenced him and his word ultimately above all things, even his son whom he loved. There's a time, brothers and sisters, we're going to be tested if you're a true believer and you're going to be called to maybe give something or whatever it might be. I don't know. But it's the test is do you love the Lord more than what you're being called to do? And God's desire is to prove faith genuine and to bless, by the way. There could be no greater test for Abraham to whom the promises would come through. Hinged on Isaac, his son, he loved his only son regard to the promise. And Abraham didn't withhold him. He did not withhold his only son. But think about that. God stopped him from slaying him. But God the Father did not withhold his only son. He allowed him to be slain. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will you not also freely give us all things? You see, this foreshadowed... Um, God's love for us. Abraham did not kill his son. God stopped him. God the Father allowed his son to be crucified, and he died for us in our place. Tremendous love that God has for us. So with that in mind, what are we to do when testing comes? We need to obey God. It's going to be a manifestation of true faith if you obey the Lord, regardless of what you perceive. It's amazing at times, as a pastor, when I talk to people, that there's so many excuses about what's happening here and here to, to, to lessen the, the, the reality of just obedience to the word. Abraham obeyed. He obeyed. And notice there's a blessing. There's a blessing. Middle of verse 12. For now I know you fear God. The one thing God does is he assures us that we have a relationship with him we're tested. I can tell you about tests that I've went through that I know it was that test kind of test. I look back and I know exactly what it was. And it was a test to the core of my being and God proved in that the genuineness of my faith. No doubt about it. James says that blessed are those who persevere when they've been tested for they'll receive the crown of life. You're blessed. God desires to bless. James chapter 2, we see that saving faith will obey. Turn to James chapter 2. And this has to do with Abraham. James chapter 2, verse 19. And actually go back a little bit to 14 because this is the context. And the ladies know about this already. You all know this. James chapter 2, verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith in Jesus? By the way, that's what the context is. 
but he has no works or no deeds in a sense. Can that type of faith save him? Is that saving faith? Someone who says, I believe in Jesus, but it is not manifest in obedience to the Lord? That can't save. Chapter 2, verse 19, back in, uh, in James. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not our father Abraham justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see, faith was working with his works. As a result of the works, faith was perfected or brought to fruition or completion. His faith was manifest to be complete in his obedience in bringing Isaac to the altar and sacrificing him. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Called a friend of God. You see, man is not justified by works man is uh, you see man is justified by works not by faith alone the point here in that place is that we are justified by faith but it's faith that works and when god proves your faith he's going to prove it through it being worked out by the way through it being worked out god does not test true believers for the purpose of crushing them and having us fail he tests true believers to prove and demonstrate your faith is genuine and bless you. When you go through it, it's hard. I can't imagine how hard it was for Abraham. But he wanted to bless him ultimately. Bless him. Look at back in our passage. Notice Abraham's obedience also brought forth blessed provision. God always provides when you trust him, by the way. Trust him. Verse 13, chapter 22, Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for the burnt offering in the place of his son. Isn't that amazing? And Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. He got the message. As it is said to this day, in the mount the Lord of the Lord, it will be provided. And it was provided through Jesus Christ on that same mount. He raises his eyes. He sees the ram. God provides. That's a male sheep. Um, and it's caught in a thicket. He takes him. And he offered him up in worship. And he called it the Lord will provide. Foreshadowing what Christ would do for us and die in our place die in our place all of us like sheep have gone astray each one has turned his own way but the lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him second corinthians 5 21 he made him who knew no sin that's jesus to be to be sin on our behalf that means to bear our sins in his body on the cross that we might become the righteousness of god in him he did it in our place and notice what Abraham did back in verse 14. Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide to this day. And in this mount, the Lord will provide it. Yahweh Yireh, or, or Jehovah Jireh, Yireh. The Lord, or God, the Lord sees. The Lord sees to provide. He sees to provide, and it will be provided. And he sought to provide for our sinful condition and sent his son Jesus from the foundation of the earth, he saw the provision that would be needed. And you think about all the things as God the Father allowed his son. He, he looked upon, and we see it in, 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 the, in the book of Isaiah, 
53. He grew up before him before a tenor shoot. He, he was on his way to do, on his way to die for us. They walked together. And he went to the cross for us. So we see a foreshadowing of Christ's work throughout the cross. Verse 2, Abraham has spoken of his only begotten. We see that Christ, that parallelism, is the only begotten Son of God. Verse 2, they went to be sacrificed, most likely the same place Jesus died for our sins, Mount Moriah. We see the third day when they arrived, a a picture of of receiving him back as a type on the third day, his son. Verse 5, we have the assurance of the return after his death, prefigures Christ's resurrection. Verse 6, Isaac carried the wood that he would be offered on. Jesus carried his own cross that he would be sacrificed on. Verses 6 and 8, they walked together, and I've mentioned that already. There was unity between the Father and Son. Verses 10 to 14, just as God provided a substitute, Jesus was provided as a substitute for us. And as we'll see in our closing verses, blessing, salvation blessing, came from this offering, pointing to the blessing that Christ would bring in salvation. God loved Abraham deeply. And his seemingly awful test turned out to be a demonstration of his great love and desire to bless Abraham and the picture of the greatest love that could ever be poured out by giving his own son in our place. Then notice verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called out to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and not withheld your only son, your only son... Tremendous thing. This is not an angel. It's the messenger of the Lord. It's it's the, in the Old Testament, the. It's the Lord himself crying out from heaven. He says, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. It's the Lord. And what's the most important phrase? Verse 18. And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. But look before here, and he says, verse 17, I will indeed greatly bless you. I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven. I'm going to fulfill my promises as the sand of the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. You shall be victorious. And then this statement, and in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Why? Because you obeyed my voice. God does his will through people who trust him. Very interesting. Because Abraham's faith was truly manifest in this action, God brought forth through his seed the Savior, Jesus Christ. He's a true believer. And if you obey the Lord, there's blessing. There's blessing. Just trust the Lord. Don't try to resolve things in your head. Believe what he said and do it. There's so many different promises, but believe what he said. Although it's excruciating at times, God wants to prove your faith and bless you. Bless you. Now, it says in verse 19, So Abraham returned to his young man, like you said, didn't he? And they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived in Beersheba. Now, the end of this verse seems kind of, you know, the end of this chapter doesn't seem to be connected to it, but it really is. Just read it really quickly, because this is part of the blessing, by the way. 
Now it came about after these things, verse 20, that it was told Abraham, Behold, Milcah has borne children to your brother Nahor. This seems to be not very important, but let's read on. Uz, his firstborn, and Buzz, his brother, and Kimiel, the father of Aram, and Yesed, and Hazo, and Pildash, and Jiflah, and Bethuel. And then notice what it says. And Bethuel became the father of who? Rebekah. That's an interesting thing to point that out there. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother, and this concubine whose name was Rumah. <coughs> she also bore Teba and Gaham and Tehash and Milcah. <coughs> Why this last portion? God is blessing Abraham out in advance. Isaac's going to get taken care of. He's got a wife. God is going to bring forth his promise now through Isaac and Rebecca. God is faithful. God is faithful. So how should we respond when our faith is tested? Today we've seen Abraham go through the ultimate test, and we need to learn from his response. He was asked to give up his only son whom he loved, the one in whom God had made clear the promises would be fulfilled through, And Abraham, not understanding how that would happen, ultimately, by faith, obeyed and offered him up. And we've seen a picture of what God does through testing. For every believer, he uses testing to demonstrate and prove our faith. And that faith is proven not in just simply believing, in a general sense, it's through believing that manifests in obedience to his word. That's when it's proven. And for every true believer, this brings about a blessed assurance of where you're really at with the Lord and blessing with him. Brother and sister, if you're a true believer, you're going to be tested. And that test is, will you obey the Lord no matter what? And it will manifest whether you have a true relationship with him. Now, there's certainly the reality that God tests some of those who aren't his, in a sense, and proves that they're not saved. We've seen that at times around here. They went out from us, but they're really not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. Nor that might be shown they're not of us. Sometimes people are tested, and it shows where they're really at. Maybe some of you, God is testing to show you where you really stand, and you're crumbling, and it's all about you. And God is showing you, hey, you don't have the faith you think you have, and I love you, and I sent my son to die for you. Trust in Jesus. Believe in him. Be saved. And he will, you will have a genuine faith that will be proven and blessed and blessed. But the most important thing out of this is what God did through the picture that he brought about and provided for us our greatest need, which is salvation, in our place. And he gave his only son. And this is a picture to remind us of the anguish the father must have gone through to give his son up for us and follow through all the way. And yet he died for us and he rose from the dead. And God loves us so much. And don't forget that. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for your tremendous love for us, Father, that you sent your only son and that you didn't stop him from being sacrificed. You allowed him to be sacrificed to pay the full penalty for our sins. And I thank you that because he was sinless and God in flesh, that death could not hold him, that he rose from the dead. 
And I thank you for what we've seen today. And I pray for anyone here who is going through difficulties. Lord, may they trust you and obey you. May their faith, if it is, be proven genuine. May they be blessed. May they be blessed knowing that you are a good God and a gracious God. And Lord, for anyone who maybe has seen that their faith is not being proven, and it never has, that they would turn to the provision of your son Jesus and truly trust and then be blessed with genuine faith in Jesus. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son who died in our place and redeemed us from our sins. It's in his name we pray. Amen.